1: Is your company about to be involved in a merger or acquisition? No matter what side of the deal you are on, this can be a daunting and very risky part of business. Welcome to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions with Sonia Weigel. On each show, you'll hear from top executives representing a variety of industries. We'll discuss the success stories, best practices, and lessons learned that can help you engineer a smooth transition that's good for your business and celebrated by your people. Now, here's your host, Sonia Weigel. Hello,
2: and welcome to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Sonia Weigel, and I am thrilled and honored to be here because this is my very first show. And uh, I'm excited to bring this show to all of you. Um, We will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of mergers and acquisitions. In fact, I'm particularly excited to share this with you um, because we're gonna talk through the successes, sometimes the failures, and the lessons learned in this space through the wisdom and experience of guests each week that come from a variety of industries and represent all sides of the deal. As the title indicates, we'll focus on the people side of M&A, specifically culture, behaviors, human capital strategy, and processes. How often have we seen deals that were beautifully architected from a finance or a legal perspective, only to fall apart post-close because of culture clashes? We've all seen the two organizations where one is successful because of its speed and because of its nimbleness and, and innovation, trying to merge with another organization that's successful because of its ability to build consensus and take careful time to make careful decisions. Bringing those two organizations together that were successful, each on their own, causes you to have to decide which which culture and which approach to business to be choose. What happens from an organization structure perspective when you've got two CFOs in each organization, one in each organization, which CFO do you choose? Or you've got two legacy systems and you know you've got to find out how to integrate them somehow, and unfortunately, they can't be. These things are often thought about after the deal has closed, and usually only because the misalignment is causing problems. It's kind of like putting a ring on her finger and waiting until after the wedding to see if you belong together. So what qualifies me to host a show on M&A integration? Well, after school, I joined the world of Big Five Consulting with a focus on human capital strategy, change management, organization development and strategy. and I applied these concepts to global organization transformation projects like business process outsourcing and ERP implementations and of course mergers and acquisitions. I was having a great time on the partner track, I was newly married, I was traveling every week doing the work that I absolutely love to do. And then I had our first baby and although I didn't expect it. I looked at him for the first time and the partner track no longer mattered and travel was now out of the question because I never ever wanted to leave this little baby ever. So that uh, caused me to look internally and I went on to accept an executive position with a global property and casualty insurance company and applied my skill sets there. Soon after that, uh, doing well, traveling again and I had one baby calling the nanny mommy and another one on the way. And I knew then that there had to be a way to do what I love from a work perspective and still be the kind of mommy that I wanted to be. And so that's when, back, way back in 2000, I started SWC Management Consulting. So through all of these years, we've done a lot of M&A integration work. We've been on the buy side and the sell side. We've done due diligence, we've gone post-deal integration, and we've done operationalization and helped companies determine how to uh, realize their growth strategies. We like to work across all industries, but particularly like to focus on deal sizes between 50 million and $500 million. I've managed to assemble a team of highly experienced consultants who are experts in everything from executive compensation to risk management to diversity and inclusion. And we apply all of these disciplines and more to help organization transformations that are successful and sustainable. My favorite part of this work is getting to work with our clients to bring tangible impact through human resources. We like to help companies to harness their most important asset, their people, and that's why I do this. It's my hope to use this radio show as a platform to help many of you in the same way. I'd like to host an interactive show that gives you, the listening audience, the access to the best minds in the business for the benefit of themselves and for their companies. And to that end, I'm sitting here now with one of those great minds. I have with me today Stephen Sanders, and he is the CEO and Chief Investment Strategist for Beltrade Capital and Stone Ridge Investment Partners. He has an aggressive growth strategy for his firm that is largely dependent on the fast but measured acquisition of other firms. In fact, he's already done three transactions since his initial acquisition of Stone Ridge in 2009, and he shows no signs of stopping. We're gonna talk with him today about what he's learned about culture and organization dynamics and the role that they play in the transactions he's already completed and the impact that those lessons have had on the sustainable success of these acquisitions. Before I turn it over to Steve, let me just give you a little bit about his background. I'm gonna read this because it's not only very impressive but it has a lot of big numbers in it and I don't wanna get it wrong. Over the last 30 years, Steve Sanders has been a true leader in the emerging manager investment industry. In 2008, Mr. Sanders formed Beltrath Capital to execute on his vision to acquire and grow small to mid-sized asset management firms. In 2009, he acquired Stone Ridge Investment Partners LLC. Steve and his team grew Stone Ridge from $200 million in assets under management to 1.3 billion in assets under management in just six years. Mr. Sanders continued his vision by merging the $500 million fixed income portfolio division of Stone Ridge Investment Partners with PMG Advisors, a $1.1 billion specially institutional fixed income firm. Through this transaction, Mr. Sanders increased Beltrade's total assets under management to approximately $2.3 billion. Mr. Sanders has proved, provided economic and financial market commentary to national and local television networks such as CNBC, Bloomberg, CNN, ABC World News, Fox TV, and CN8's Money Matters Today. He holds a BBA in risk management from Howard University and um, has has experienced a tremendous level of just sustained success and has a tremendous reputation, and we're just so grateful to have him on the show today. So, Steve, welcome.
3: It is a pleasure to be here with you today, Sonia.
2: Thank you. Thank you. So let's, uh, let's get right into it. Hmm. So, Steve, tell us a little bit first about Beltrace and why you decided that acquiring other firms is the best way to grow your firm.
3: Well, Beltrath, uh, first of all, in the name is a combination of, of three words. Um, it's belief, trust, and faith. Beltraith as a word did not exist in the uh, dictionary uh, until I was uh, questioned by my wife to really think about the things I had learned in my uh, years or through my years in the investment and and and, uh, uh, entrepreneurial pursuits that I have uh, had. And it really came down to, you know, learning, um, you know, how to believe uh, God, who I've always believed God, I, as an entrepreneur, it's always a challenge to trust God because you're trying to trust in what you think is best. And then I really had to learn how to um, have sustainable faith throughout all types of uh, scenarios. And I learned those things over the years. It was a blessing to be able to learn them. So Beltrade Trade stands for belief, trust, and faith, which are the core values of, um, uh, of our company and what we have always expect to have in each of the uh, entities that we um, acquire and work with. And what I wanted to do after being in the money management industry, I joined it uh, right out of uh, Howard University. I was in the employee benefits division of an insurance company, and that's where I really got my first exposure to institutional money management and just fell in love with it. I didn't like economics much when I was studying it in school, but the the concepts of economics came alive to me when I began to put, uh, 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 connected with, how do you make money uh, out of it? And so I just fell in love with economics early on in my career and the investment process and uh, making money. Learned, uh, you know, so looked at Uh, money management firms at large size, and then got a chance to start my own firm back in uh, 1986 after I left the banking world. And that entrepreneurial bug had had bitten me, and I discovered I just really liked helping other people understand the basics of economics, understand the concepts of managing uh, money and growing money, and that led to me starting uh, my own firm in my parents' basement. And uh, just continued to grow that and talk to people and worked with individuals and then began to work with institutions as well. And so those concepts of um, leadership, which I learned uh, by running student government uh, at Howard University, I learned a lot of right things to do, but then also I learned a lot about myself and how I needed to grow. And uh, the concept of organizational dynamics, which I had no idea of back then, uh, but I saw it play out throughout my uh, career. And then the whole process of leadership was so critical and important. So a lot of things came to bear on how do you really build and run an organization. And I really liked, I just had this belief, and we believe this at at Beltrade, that size does matter in the money management industry. And there are some inherent advantages in small and mid-sized companies, money management firms that you don't find at larger money management firms. And so our goal is to extend, exploit, utilize, grow, and grandize the small to mid-sized firms to make them competitive, more competitive, in the marketplace. And we've seen a number of different firms out here that have some great advantages, but they were generally locked up, Sonia, inside of the firm. So Beltray's goal is to unlock those unforeseen advantages inside small and mid-sized firms to give them the opportunity to compete with the big boys and win.
2: And in doing that, give yourself the same opportunity as well, because as you bring on these smaller portfolio companies and you invite them in and bring them into the Beltrath family, Mm -hmm. the idea is then that your your sphere of influence and scope of capability also grows at the same time.
3: It really does in terms of hiring people, um, making sure you have a diverse group of people inside of the firm, uh, really begin to shape the industry in a way that most people don't get a chance to do you know, inside of their uh, uh, careers. And then just being able to take on all of those challenges, and I do love the challenges. They could wear you out, but I do love and enjoy the challenges that each one of the entities provides, and as you know, uh, when there's one challenge at one firm, it's the solution uh, or an answer to a challenge that you see at the at another firm. So you just keep getting better and better with every passing quarter, every passing week, every passing challenge that is thrown before you.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it it starts with so. How do we build capabilities to accentuate and develop and, and position ourselves better in the marketplace? but it can't end there.
3: Right. <laughs> it doesn't.
2: <laughs> that's the beginning. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of what we're going to talk about today are some of those, uh, often unforeseen factors that go into, um, the, the quantitative side of, yeah. of doing these things. And so, uh, you know, that's really where we want to pick your yeah. brain a bit, because I know that you've learned a lot in this area and I know you've got a a unique appreciation for the idea of, mm-hmm. of OD and, and and the role that it plays, unique for the industry, mm-hmm. unique for leadership in general, and uh, it's one of the things that I've I've watched from afar and, and I've watched you apply brilliantly. So I've ex- seen
3: some of the pain <laughs> and some of the gain. <laughs> That's very
2: true. <laughs> it's very true. Uh, but I am excited for you to share some of those learnings uh, with 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 our listeners. Um, what what are some of the things that um, first drew you to OD Hmm. um, as you think about uh, applying it to your acquisition strategy?
3: Yeah. Leadership is very challenging. Um, We oftentimes take it for granted. A lot of people want to have leadership positions, um, but they don't quite know exactly how to be an effective leader. I've been fortunate and blessed enough to be in a multitude of leadership positions And I began to recognize my own shortcomings, and they were far greater than I had even anticipated. And I wanted to get better at this. I wanted to be a a constantly improving leader because I think the success or failure of any organization starts with the leader, the, the leader's vision, values, approach, um, how the leader communicates with other people inside of the organization, outside of the organization, and most importantly, how does the leader in- communicate within him or herself? How do you? What's your self-talk? Sure. And so it's great to be um, motivated or be a motivational leader, but how do you become a practical and effective leader? And I think that's where OD starts. And for me, it was discovering, you know, partially more how to listen to other people. Um, You know, I love delivering speeches. Uh, You can see here on the radio, I love talking about the concepts, but um, listening became an extremely valuable tool uh, to me. And then one of the people on my staff had uh, gotten a a master's in organizational dynamics Um, uh, just as he was was finishing it up while he was joining us. And a lot of those concepts uh, helped me discover some additional things as well about organizational dynamics, a discipline of which something I did not know even existed again.
2: Wow. Well, certainly hiring someone with with an OD background into a financial firm Mm -hmm. is unique indeed. Yes. (laughs) And so, you know, I'm uh, excited to dig into this a a little bit more. Um, Thanks everyone for tuning in so far. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we'll be right back with Stephen Sanders, Chairman of Beltrath Capital and CEO of Stone Ridge Investment Partners. Thanks. We'll be right back.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
0: Tune in to the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us.
1: You are tuned in to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions with Sonia Weigel. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at sweigelconsulting.com. Now, back to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Uh, let's get back to our discussion with Steve Sanders. When we left you, we were talking about uh, his perspectives on leadership and some of the things he learned about himself as it relates to what's really required to, uh, if nothing else, uh, keep your business stabilized. But he's he's got more um, planned for his business. His, aggressive, his growth goals are extremely aggressive and they are driven by acquisition. And uh, M&A is a risky business, and so leadership can't fall. That's mm-hmm. one of the cornerstones, one of the things that, that absolutely has to be, um, uh, you've got to be confident in that. So talk to us a little bit more about what you learned about your own personal leadership and what you mm-hmm. look for in your, in your own leaders yep. as it relates to driving your strategy.
3: I'm still learning about myself as a leader, and I hope that I never stop learning that. I don't want to make as many mistakes as I've made in the past. I want to continue to get better. But um, you know, I'm, I'm learning more about my leadership style, um, how I you know what type of people I interact with uh, best. I mentioned earlier about you know really listening, but then also decision making, you know, how to make faster and better decisions in this very volatile, global economic marketplace that we live in. So one, a decision that was good today is not necessarily a, a decision that's going to be good tomorrow. So how do you have the flexibility to change, um, not just your own mind, but also the minds of other people that you're working with? How do you put a culture in place to allow people to feel free to exercise their thoughts? You know, there are, you know, there's no patent on who's absolutely right, um, at least in the money management Industry. So what what we're doing is building cultures inside of our firms that allows everyone to be heard and to allow everyone to feel free enough to provide their opinion, regardless of their station inside of the firm. And that's not easy, particularly in the money management industry, because surrounded by very, very bright people. Oftentimes they have their own very strong opinions um, about how a portfolio should be positioned or what should be in the portfolio or how they feel about, um, you know, the economy. So now I've grown to enjoy listening more to people that, are, that have a different approach than I do. And, and uh, even if I agree with someone's approach, I will sometimes take the opposite uh, spectrum. If someone thinks interest rates are going to go up, mm-hmm. then I may begin to argue why interest rates may go down, because I think it's healthy for us to have that sort of exchange uh, inside of the firm. The, the the other thing is just creating a culture where people feel comfortable in general. And you and I have had discussions about this, Sonia, and that's. That's easier said than done because the culture of an organization can continue to meld and change every day. There's so many outside influences that push and change the the culture. And then every time you bring someone else new in, that changes the culture as well. So what we're doing, and, and you're very helpful in this, is solidifying at least a culture that is solid enough to remain, the best tenants of it to remain in place, but then have enough flexibility to change as need be, as the, not just as the weather changes really, but as demands on the culture change in order for us to grow. Because one of the things I've found is that, one, that what makes one money management firm successful versus another. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people think it's the investment process. It is not. It's actually the people that are running the investment process. Right. So at Beltrade, we believe that alpha, which is outperformance over a an unmanaged index, can be driven primarily by organizational dynamics. That means putting together the right team of individuals uh, to work on the challenges of picking stocks or bonds, or, or if it's not stocks or bonds, it's outside of that area, whatever the investment uh, vehicle is, you get the right team together, the right people on the bus in the right seats, you can have a team of above average individuals outperform a team of superior intellectual folks if the team is managed well, um, and if the team is put together well and it stays together well. So oftentimes a, a portfolio management team will fall apart because you get one person in to the team that just should not have been there. And this is the, the hard part is that you don't see that until a couple of quarters later when you see the underperformance. We have suffered through that mm-hmm. in, in one or two of our companies where the team was either too, you know, too weak or we needed, or it was just when I say weak, you might have had too much responsibility on one person's shoulders. It's only 24 hours in a day. You've got to get that off of that person's shoulders, get enough of the right people inside the uh, on the team with limited Resources and still be able to perform because clients don't care whether we're up against a firm that has a hundred billion dollars or a firm that has fifty billion and we have one billion. They don't care. We're against the same indexes and we're in the the same peers. People don't look at that. So, but in a smaller firm, you have the ability to be more nimble and can change something in the investment process in the team a lot quicker.
2: So that's where the risk comes in, right? Because mm-hmm. you could decide, which you have not, but you could decide to grow organically and have perhaps more direct impact and control or influence over your personalities. You bring them in. you 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 bring them in through the lens of your performance requirement and the culture that you want and you evaluate for that on your way in. But you've decided that you wanna grow quickly, you wanna grow massively and aggressively by acquisition which means you're taking the risk of bringing in these other organizations that bring their own culture, their own behaviors, their own ways of working, and you've got to, without impacting performance, plug them into the holding company structure. And so what you and I have talked about to begin to mitigate some of those risks is analyzing and assessing for fit before you get into that transaction. Because in, in my world, ideally, we have these discussions before you push play right. on, on the deal. I, I More often than not, we get the call after things have gone sideways and we're trying to fix things. You know, that whole, you know, mm-hmm. do we need to, should we be married after the wedding? <laughs> that, that whole conversation. <laughs> but, you know, I think some of the most exciting conversations that you and I have had recently have been about, you know, what does that look like? What is the process? Um, look like we're doing some of this analysis and some of this assessment in, in, in advance, even as you evaluate targets, and, right. and 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 forfeit. So, so, what have some of the lessons you've learned, even in the acquisitions you've done already, mm. taught you, and how how does that inform your decision making when you're looking at potential targets to
3: acquire? Well, it's two two or three things. One, uh, we do have a strategy for organic growth um, as well, but I recognize that there are opportunities out here in the inorganic uh, space for growth that are just as viable. And how do you marry the two of those? And you've helped us see, you know, how to do that, how to evaluate it. I had some ideas on what should be done on the inorganic side, the organic side. We'd put all of that in place, you know, new business development, getting the right people in, going out and, you know, being at the conferences, speaking at conferences, talking to people, we were doing all of, of those things. But we kept seeing these inorganic opportunities with firms that actually what happened was the inorganic opportunities were greater and more prevalent than we thought they would be. Um, and so in talking with you, I recognize that you can't just go out and acquire any firm or allow any firm to become a part of your overall strategy, that yes, there needs to be a game plan up front, where you're identifying targets that maybe have a good investment process, which we could very easily do. But how do you assess the people? How do you assess uh, the culture of that firm? And does it fit with the values and culture of Beltrade? You know, all of the Beltrade companies don't have to work together, but they do have to be in sync. Fixed income can manage fixed income the way that they're doing. Equities can have their strategies, which they do. But at some point there has to be some connect connection between the two. And if you can get a group of smart people at the investment process to all buy into the same culture, uh, then each one of them begins to feed the other on better investment ideas and concepts. So after talking with you about how to do that, and I know it's still embryonic, uh, we're now developing the rubric for how do we make uh, 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 acquisitions or mergers be even more accretive and more accretive sooner. Right. Because the culture is what drives how much will fall to the bottom line and how soon. So you mentioned earlier the legal and the finance part is where we will all tend to just kind of spend most of our time, but the people part I think It's such a big challenge, Sonia, because so few of us, particularly in the investment arena, are taught how to really do that. And then so few entrepreneurs want to spend time in that area because it's considered these soft skills. (laughs) But it's the soft skills and the soft conversations that are driving us hardly and quickly out of business. So when I met you, I began to put those things to the forefront of the organization as opposed to the back end of anything that we're currently doing and own and anything that we'll look at uh, going forward. And it's allowing me to sleep better at night and allowing me to make uh, better decisions for where the company should be going forward, but then also how to handle the vicissitudes, uh, vicissitude of all the challenges of having four entities yes. um, under you know your, under the holding company, Beltray
2: yeah, I, I one of the things that's been most interesting about your journey so far to the, to watch from the outside is um, you've had a measure of success from your initial infrastructure, your, your organic infrastructure. but you've you've got a very strong um, perspective and opinion on the culture that you want inside of your organization. And one of the things that we've talked about is regardless of operations and regardless of, of of how each portfolio company does what it's here to do, having a consistent connection to the overall vision and mission and strategy that you've set. And these are these are behavioral, right? I mean you are an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You have a, a certain level of risk tolerance you uh, expect and require a certain amount of uh, critical thinking and 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 self-drive from your folks where they also operate as entrepreneurs for the benefit mm-hmm. of, of of the business so one of the things i'd love to talk with you about is how do you cascade that down equitably and 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 consistently across all of your portfolio companies because you know th- therein i think lies the secret sauce to doing acquisitions in a way where you know each each company is operating and performing at a, at a high rate, but it's it's sometimes it's as much about how you do the work mm-hmm. as much as, as as the work that you do itself. And uh, you know, so I'd love to to get your perspective on yeah. on some of that.
3: Well, you mentioned the word how um, we you know how you do the work. How do you get it done? And I think a lot of that really does, if I can borrow the title of a famous book. It starts with why. Um, Understanding why we are in the business that we're in is so important. Um, I think it's important for my colleagues to know that from the Beltrade level and the individual company levels uh, then it is also you know important for us to understand why they are in the business that they're in. Why are they in the money management business and what is it that they expect to get out of that business. When we find out what that is, yes. that's when that's when the magic begins. That's when we begin to know we can taste the secret sauce and we know what some of the ingredients are inside.
2: Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Steve. We're gonna take another quick break and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about this role of culture and people and, and what it looks like inside your industry, the institutional money management industry. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll be right back.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
0: Tune in to the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Class, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us.
4: You are
1: tuned in to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions with Sonia Weigel. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at sweigelconsulting.com now back to beyond financials the people side of mergers and acquisitions
2: welcome back everyone we're here with steve sanders chairman of bell Trade capital and ceo of stone Ridge investment partners and i'd like to begin this segment with a look inside the institutional money management industry mm-hmm. and uh it's not uh, i'd love to talk with you about the role of culture and human capital strategy and organization dynamics as it relates to that industry in particular. I mean, it's an industry that's obviously heavily dependent on investment strategy and performance, and success in this industry means that you're able to devise novel and innovative investment approaches in order to provide consistent and sustained success for your clients. But one would not necessarily view culture or behaviors for that matter as playing a role in the success of a money management firm. You, however, Lead with culture in mind. How have you used this unique perspective to the benefit of your firm and for the benefit of your clients?
3: Okay, I'll start with why again. Why do I feel that way and believe that way? <laughs> yes. Because I, I got kicked in the teeth enough times to, uh, <laughs> you know, looking at, um, you know, why did we underperform? The times that we underperformed. Um, what causes an employee to want to to leave? I should say a colleague to leave, a team member to leave. Um, this is a highly competitive business, and so how do you attract and retain talent? Uh, you had recommended a number of books to me, uh, you know that I have devoured uh, in 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 that respect, and um, it, so this is what you know. I believe you know the. Money management industry has changed quite a bit over the last 20 years. A lot of it has to do with the last 30 years. A lot of it has to do with some outside forces, globalization, um, the interest rate conundrum that we're in, a great great recession, Uh, technology has pushed and forced the industry to move probably into some better directions. You know, sure. Some costs have come down, but as the cost of technology, as technology has helped driven costs downward, uh, regulations have caused um, costs uh, and, and efficiencies, cost to go up, efficiencies in some firms to, to go down. Just the compliance area alone um, is extremely expensive or growingly expensive for money management firms as well as banks. And when there's a mistake that's made in one firm, we all pay the price. So a small firm that's a billion in assets under management has to adhere to the same compliance rules as a firm that has 10 billion or 100 billion. Uh, The other is that this concept of passive money management has put a lot of pressure, fee pressure in particular, on actively managed uh, investment strategies. A large portion of the smaller firms have active Portfolio management strategies as opposed to an index strategy, which means they're constantly having to find ways with rising costs and, and a number of areas, having to find ways to still be um, in business despite, or remain in business despite costs going up. And I think that's made it far more challenging for firms to be able to compete su- sure. successfully. And that's going to continue. So that means you've got to look for non balance sheet ways. to compete and be effective. And that goes to exactly what you were saying. It goes back to the people. You've got to get more out of fewer people. And you have to, and and in order to do that, I'm just a big believer that you've got to keep people happy. So there are two types of income. There's the check that they take, that that, that colleagues take home, we all take home every two weeks or every month. Then there's also something that one of my colleagues uh, introduced me to, uh, Phil Brown introduced me to, psychic income. And that psychic income has to do with organizational dynamics. How do you feel about the place that you work? How do you feel about the people that you work with? Um, um, Are you able to um, take a situation where there's a lot of stress and in the money management industry, there's stress every day? How do you alleviate some of that stress or at least allow people to leave out of the the, the firm each day and want to come back tomorrow. It's always said that the greatest asset in a money management firm walks out the door yeah. every day and then has to decide to walk back in right. and you got to walk back in stronger than you were that existing uh, the, the, the day before. So what we try to do is make sure that um, even when you make a mistake at the firm, that first of all, from a compliance perspective, it's not damaging enough. To cause us to have to go out of business. Um, You know, secondly of all, that not only will you learn from it, but can everyone else learn from that? And how do we turn a mistake into a best practice? Because there's something embedded, there's a seed inside of every decision that we make that is not the best decision that allows us to get closer to the best decision. Now, I'm not talking about anything illegal. But even when you make those mistakes, you should have learned something those as well. And then how do we continue to learn from our competitors' uh, um, mistakes and then also what they're doing? So I go back to the concept of our patent office is never closed. So we're constantly looking for a better way. Now, all of that is couched under one very particular thing that we think differentiates us from a lot of firms, and that is We're in this business to find solutions for our clients. We don't believe in taking a product off the shelf and shoving that into the face of a client. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is listen to the client and where is their maximum pain. For example, and this helped us design a product that's very innovative, first-of-a-kind product in the very sleepy fixed income space. We kept hearing from our clients that they were concerned with, low interest rate environments and our clients are large institutions the uh you know pu- public funds you state and city pension funds and, and corporations and, and unions and they're saying our fixed income portfolio is not producing enough for us interest rates interest rates are so low uh, and then we're concerned that at some point interest rates will go back up you know we've had a a secular decline in interest rates over the last 30 years mm-hmm. so we're at 30-year low at some point interest rates will go back up which began to happen recently. When interest rates go up, on a, that affects a fixed income portfolio um, dramatically, which means the bond prices dip. So clients said, we need you to help us find a way, we need somebody to help us find a way to ring fence that, that, that risk. Sure. And so we took two years and just talked to more clients and talked about different things that were out there. And um, we looked at one of the oldest uh, uh, um, uh, debt classes in the world, consumer debt, said, how do we get what's happening in the consumer debt space and technology to come together to help us put together a product that can give us a higher return or yield in the fixed income space without clients having to take on a lot of risk. And thus we created one with one of our partner firms, Emerald. uh, We created the first collective investment trust that could put together a pool of hundreds of loans consumer loans coming off of
2: oh, wow. the
3: technology fintech space off of uh, the platforms um, direct lending put all of those together underwrite those loans in a different way put together our own techniques for how we're going to you know look at these loans and and, and 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 categorize them from a risk perspective, put them into a portfolio, put them into a security and get them inside of a client's portfolio. And we were able to do that. And it's and it's performing the way that we needed it uh, to perform. So our clients that have that are no longer afraid of a rising interest rate environment. Neither are we. But, you know, that took time listening to our fixed income uh, a, a, a specialists, listening to the new business development people and everyone listening uh, to clients. And we want to continue to do that. It can be done in the equity space, private equity space, real estate infrastructure. Um, and I think we need to do more of it, particularly in the actively managed domestic equity space which you'll begin to hear us talk about more as we're rolling out some of these things that we've incubated uh, inside of uh, Stone Ridge uh, in Investment Partners. So we gotta be able to compete right. as an active manager right. in a passively growing world. And there's a way to do that. One of the ways starts with your team and making sure your cost structure are in line.
2: So what I heard in that was, that the market was requiring something very specific yes. of you and your firm and of the industry. The
3: industry, yes.
2: And your response to that was to say, okay, there are certain ways of working that we're going to have to employ in order to meet this market need. And reaching across, you know, this was particularly in your fixed income business, but you know, I heard certain competencies and, mm. and skill sets in what you said that were required to course correct and meet this new market need.
3: And See, I, I love the way you say the stuff. I said <laughs> you just, I love the way you say it, totally. Thank you, yes, course correct. So
2: yes, let me, let me tell you what you were thinking yes, at the time, whether you, me, would, whether you knew it or not. You know, it, it was coalescing your folks around your vision for entrepreneurial thinking and risk tolerance. You allowed for that by allowing for mistakes to be made certainly within compliance and legal constructs, but the idea is that mistakes are okay, we just need to learn from them. And that stretches an entrepreneurial and risk tolerance muscle that you were then able to grow in your folks, build that capability, they deployed that with a measure of, of, of creativity and entrepreneurial thinking to help you develop a new approach that then matched the need of the marketplace.
3: Wow, you make me sound so smart. You are so yes. smart.
2: Utter, <laughs> utterly, utterly brilliant.
3: Thank you. That's. I, I wish I could have said it so eloquently. That, that's exactly right. And we wanted to make sure we could repeat that process. So I'll give out that's one of our key. secrets on, on how to do that. You know, Particularly early on, we didn't have money to fly everywhere we needed to fly, so we had to drive.
2: Oh, I remember you doing that. Yes.
3: yes. And so a drive from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh can take you about five hours. But what's interesting is that when you put a team of people in the car together yes. and you say by the time we get there we're gonna have a solution, it's magical. Wow, that's time well spent. Yes. On that long drive to Pittsburgh, yes. <laughs> which I've done many <laughs> I know you have. many,
2: many times. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, now that's interesting. That is mm-hmm. really interesting. Because you're and,
3: captive. Yeah, you're right there. You, the can, you can talk as loud as you want. You can you you know just really just sort of open up, take a couple of bathroom breaks along the way, and we and then, so that was an unintended consequence of what our financial situation looked like early on. Now we make sure that we find that time. I enjoy that ride. I'll drive all the way to California <laughs> if it'll help me yes. get to a solution. So there's something cathartic about doing that. I want to get there as fast as possible. Yes. But fast is not always the best.
2: Right.
3: It's making it effective. Because when you enhance an investment process, you need to have tested it out. And, and so you know that it, it's going to work, and then you need to make sure that you can clearly explain it to a co- uh, to, to a client as well. So we're constantly in the laboratory in every one of our firms looking for a better solution. And how do we go back to our core value, which is when our mission, is to make sure we are driving alpha. We're driving outperformance, finding ways to drive outperformance under any market Conditions, And I'll tell you, that's not the easiest thing to do, but the moment you get the right group together, yes. and they're going to fight sometimes, <laughs> or they're going to be battles, they're going to be clashes, but you've got to have, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, uh, it's chaos, but it's, um, it, it's constructive chaos. Constructive
2: chaos. And that's yes.
3: the leader's responsibility, Yes, is to make sure that he or she puts a culture in place that will allow for that to happen.
2: That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, we're going to, Break for, for one last time, and then when we come back, we're going to ask Steve to give us some advice. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be right back.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
2: Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8am US Pacific Time, usually 4pm UK on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.
1: You are tuned in to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions with Sonia Weigel. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at sweigelconsulting.com. Now, Back to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Again, we're here with Steve and Sanders, chairman of Beltrath Capital and CEO of Stone Ridge Investment Partners. And we're talking about the role of culture and human capital strategy and organization dynamics and how he has deployed that thinking and, and those principles in the successful acquisition strategy that he's employed. And uh, in this last... Segment, Steve, I'd like you to look back on what you've done so far and think forward to what you'd like to do Mm. uh, in the future. And, you know, if there's some advice that you could give those that are presently in the midst of a transaction or contemplating one, what are some lessons learned that you would uh, that you would offer?
3: Well, from the beginning, the first thing I would do is, is tell someone to consult with, hire someone like you, yourself, Sonia. Oh, I appreciate um, that.
2: Thank you.
3: I, <laughs> if I could do anything over again, I would have brought, um, you know, someone with your skill set into the process earlier and sooner. I would have probably had fewer sleepless nights because I, uh, you know, I know what I'm good at. I can find the deal. I can, you know, motivate and guide the people. Uh, Once the deal is done, um, I can even do a fairly decent job of uh, economic uh, analysis and prognostication. But putting the strategies and processes in place in advance of an acquisition to make sure that you have a smooth transition outside of the legal and financial part is extraordinarily important. Because uh, when the legal and financial people are gone, all you're left with is really the organizational dynamics. And so what is it that someone should be looking for when they do that? Um, It's making sure that you understand the the dreams, desires of the people on the other side of the table. Uh, One of my favorite movie scenes uh, is from... um, uh, pretty woman when richard Gere was towards the end of the movie he was about to take over a company and his legal people had done all the work that they had done and and and, and there wasn't maybe proper treatment of the other side the guy on the other side who was selling the business and richard Gere threw them all out the window and said no let's he sat there with the yeah. owner of the other business and said let's figure out how we're going to do this and that was, a, I think it was a game changer. If we could probably have another chapter of that movie, you would see how that was probably one of his more successful uh, events. And that doesn't, I mean, successful acquisitions, that doesn't mean that you're a soft person. It doesn't mean that you're, um, you know, a pushover. That means that you're really seeking to make this successful for everyone. Uh, because it's only 24 hours in a day. Right. Uh, so you've really got to figure out how to get people to move faster and better. And you do that by really understanding the people on the other side of the table and making sure that they understand you uh, very well. Most people in my industry are not very good at doing that. Thus, there's a great opportunity for Beltrade. And I think most entrepreneurs aren't very good at doing that either. So it's really, really critical to talk with someone that's extraordinarily good at at working with you and you need that person on your team. Um, The other thing that i found is that all deals take you longer than you think they will. (laughs) But sometimes in that longevity, is also the secret to success. If it's taking a little longer, that means the things that we just talked about earlier, you probably have not done in advance. So before you even get the lawyers and the financial people engaged, get the organizational dynamic people engaged first, and you'll find that the time period to get the deal done will actually be shortened, and I think the results will be a lot better. We're going to engage other companies. We're going to do other um, uh, 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 acquisitions. You know, our, our goal is to, you know, reach 20 billion over, uh, over a reasonable period um, of time and to continue to grow assets. And we're not doing that because we just want to grow to a certain number. We're doing it because we see so much pain in the industry, and we think that our formula can help help alleviate that pain, both on a money manager side as well as on the client side because we really do believe that smaller is actually better it actually gives you an opportunity to be more nimble more entrepreneurial you have this boutique concept and and uh, so you let money managers do what it is they do best build portfolios analyze companies uh, manage money and you take all of the other things off of them compliance new business development Client service, um, operations, uh, leadership, management, succession—that's what Beltray takes off of them. When do you need additional capital, you know, for growth? Beltray takes all of that off of the money managers' uh, 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 table and allow them to do what it is or the, what it is they do best, which is manage money, come up with new ideas and better ways to give clients risk-adjusted returns right. consistently outperform. That's what the marketplace is demanding, institutionally, as well as at a retail level. And it's demanding it. it's going to get it from somewhere. We yeah. want to be the providers yes. of it.
2: Well, I, I'll say that uh, you have established quite a reputation for yourself and Thank for you. your firm. I think the thing to be, if you're a smaller middle uh, money management company out there is a it's a bell trade company <laughs> uh, because your, your vision is strong and your execution is stronger. And um, I think a lot of that has to to do with the special and unique knowledge and awareness and acknowledgement of the role that organization development, and human capital strategy and, and, and culture play. So I, I really do believe that makes you a very uh, unique player in the market. Thank you. And uh, it certainly is exciting to watch as you, as you uh, go through and do this. And uh, I want to thank you so very much for honoring me by being my very first guest on my very okay. first show.
3: I'm honored as well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, I thank you for your insights and for the learnings that you shared.
3: Well, on behalf of all of the marketplace that's listening and those that will be listening soon, uh, you're a breath of fresh air and, um, and your concepts and uh, your theories Um, are very practical and work. So thank you so much for what you provided to Bell and what you will continue to provide us and what you're providing to the rest of the public now with your level of expertise. Thank Thank you. you.
2: Thank you so much. I I really appreciate that. Well, that's it for today. Um, Thank you all for being with me um, on my very first show. As I've said, I'm, I'm glad to be here and I'm humbled to have this opportunity. And I will see you next week at the same time on the Business Channel on Voice America. Have a great day.
1: Thanks for listening this week. You can tune in live to Beyond Financials, the people side of mergers and acquisitions, every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Please join your host, Sonia Weigel, again next week.